There's so much health advice out there, lots of different voices and opinions, but who can you trust? Trust the experts, the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them tough, intimate health questions so you get the answers you need. This is the Health Essentials Podcast, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Health Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, Annie Zaleski, and today we're talking with Dr. Miguel Luna, Director of Endometriosis at Cleveland Clinic's OBGYN and Women's Health Institute. Endometriosis is a health condition in which the kind of tissue commonly found in the inner lining of the uterus grows elsewhere in the body. This can include the ovaries, fallopian tubes, or even the intestine. Endometriosis can cause pain and severe menstrual cramps and complicate your chances of getting pregnant. There are treatment options available, however, that can bring relief. Dr. Luna is here to discuss the endometriosis signs and symptoms, why it can be challenging to get a diagnosis, and the latest treatment options available. Dr. Luna, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's start off the conversation by telling us a little bit about your work here at Cleveland Clinic. What kind of research and clinical work do you do? So um, I'm a minimally invasive gynecologic surgeon, which basically is a surgeon that takes care of all benign conditions, um, but in a minimally invasive fashion. So complex gynecology, I focus mostly on endometriosis. That's where my clinical work and my research lies. Uh, But I also do treatment of uh, fibroids and other benign conditions. Uh, From a research standpoint, I focus on solely endometriosis. So what I've been working on recently is creating a patient uh, data registry uh, for the patients who come so that we can uh, accumulate data and and have enough data for future future research and move the field on uh, in patients with endometriosis, as well as uh, imaging and endometriosis, the uses of MRI and ultrasounds um, in the diagnosis of endometriosis and surgical planning. Wonderful. Well, let's start off by kind of with a broad question then. What is endometriosis and who does this typically affect? So endometriosis is essentially the glandular tissue inside of the uterus um, that is present outside of the uterus. That's kind of the lay way to say it. Um, It's actually similar tissue. It's not the same. So that glandular tissue that is present on inside of the uterus, that it is responsive to estrogen and progesterone is present outside of the uterus where it can cause uh, scarring and uh, inflammation because of its growing and shedding every month. Uh, Generally affects females, uh, about one in 10 women have endometriosis. Some people don't really realize this, but endometriosis can be uh, found in males as well. Very unlikely, but it can. Where are some common places then that you would uh, sort of find the tissue growing outside of where it's supposed to be? So the most common site is the pelvis. Um, and it's most common site is, for example, pelvis, ovary, uh, and the posterior compartment of the pelvis, which is the area that's behind of the uterus. Um, and that includes uh, the pouch of Douglas, which is essentially a space between the rectum, the uterus, and the vagina. It's essentially a, a just a pouch, a blind pouch in the backside of the pelvis. And this is these are the areas where we most commonly find endometriosis. So what are some common signs and symptoms then? I mean, I think pain is probably one of the biggest ones people see. So what are some other common ones? 
So the most common of all is painful periods, so dysmenorrhea. So that's the number one alerting symptom that is, and it is the most common symptoms, even throughout all studies, um, it is the one that is the most common. Uh, the other telltale signs are uh, essentially, we just say it's, it's a triad. So painful periods, painful sex, and painful defecation. Um, all of these three together um, increases the likelihood of somebody having endometriosis significantly. What is it about then kind of, uh, you know, the mechanisms of the condition that make pain, you know, so prominent as a symptom? So the biggest thing is the scarring. So it, it, as endometriosis, as, as time goes by, this glandular tissue is uh, on a surface that does not tolerate inflammation, growth and shedding uh, every month like the inside part of the uterus does. So it creates scarring in the peritoneal lining, which is the lining of the inside of the pelvis and the abdomen. And it also creates, you know, tissue sticking to each other. For example, the rectum uh, becomes adherent or stuck to the backside of the uterus because of this scarring and constant scarring. So I think that, I mean, that is the, the number one driver of pain in patients. So are there different signs that emerge before others? And, you know, in what age do people, you know, start to maybe sense some of these signs and some of this pain? So I always tell patients that the first sign is significantly painful periods. So once you start, once patients start having periods that are significantly painful, that require pain medicine, require staying home from school, staying home from work, that is the first sign that we should, um, investigate further. There was a study that was done in adolescent women who uh, had solely dysmenorrhea or painful periods, and approximately 70% of those patients that were investigated had endometriosis just based on uh, painful cycles. So that's the number one thing that we, sh that the, the number one alert sign. Where then do people feel pain? Um, is there a specific area? Is it kind of all over? What is sort of, you know, wh where where is it? Depending on where the endometriosis is because their endometriosis can be in the pelvis, it can be outside of the pelvis as well. Um, but if the endometriosis is in the pelvis, it will it will um, create pelvic pain. So it will create pelvic pain that's associated and worsened with your cycle. And as time goes by, pelvic pain will be present even outside of your cycle. But if, for example, if there's if there's an endometrioma or, or a, an endometriotic lesion of the ovary on the right side, that patient may present with uh, greater right-sided pain. If there's a lesion of endometriosis that's uh, on the bowel or the rectum or the sigmoid colon, the patient will present with pain with defecation, uh, sometimes bleeding as well. So the pain varies depending on the location and the severity of the disease. So beyond pain then, are there any unexpected signs or symptoms of endometriosis that people should be aware of? Yes. So endometriosis is associated with infertility um, as well. So if patients, one of the you know, one of the one of the biggest things that we talk about during our visits is that not all endometriosis patients are infertile, but a lot of endometriosis patients do have infertility. That's that's another sign that we look for in patients uh, besides pain. You know, now you know acne is something that's come up sometimes with endometriosis. You know, can that be a sign? Is there any sort of connection between acne and endometriosis? There's. It's hard to say. That there's some literature that can suggest. Uh, some development of acne, but there's actually, we haven't been able to make the connection. Um, there are certain, for example, phenotypes of women who have a higher secretion or higher levels of estrogen 
in their body that can be peripherally converted to testosterone um, and that can contribute to um, to to acne but there's no di direct correlation between endometriosis and acne that we know of going back to kind of pregnancy and fertility and endometriosis then you know if if you become pregnant and you do have endometriosis can that cause complications during the pregnancy and if so in what ways so this has been studied um, significantly um, I think it the most recent study it was in 2020, and there are there is an association uh, between patients of endometriosis and adverse obstetric outcomes. So patients with endometriosis that become pregnant and have and and, and deliver are at higher risk of having preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, preterm birth, um, and growth restriction as well. The thing is that we don't know because it's confounding because a lot of patients with endometriosis do undergo uh, assisted reproductive technology. So um, in vitro fertilization and um, inseminations and in and of itself, uh, assisted reproductive technology is associated pregnancies that under that that are, are let's do that again. So pregnancies that are a result of assisted reproductive technology tend to have a higher risk of all the things that I said, um, preeclampsia, gestational high, high, diabetes, um, growth restriction, et cetera. Now, this endometriosis, does that get worse over time? So that's a good question. And that's a question that we get asked a lot. It's, it's, it's hard to answer that question. The, the, there's different types of endometriosis. There's superficial endometriosis. There's deep endometriosis, which is the endometriosis that infiltrates other tissues or goes or affects other tissues. And then there's ovarian endometriosis. That's kind of how we classify it. So ovarian endometriosis does tend to get worse because um, the it, it's a cyst and it's a, and it, it fills up with fluid and continues to, to grow. The other types of endometriosis can get worse as they become resistant to medicine. For example, if patients taking birth control pills or progesterone for a very, very long time, at some point in time, these, these uh, implants do become resistant and, you know, pain ensues but we haven't been able to see endometriosis progress from a superficial to a, to a larger lesion, et cetera. So we don't have that capacity as of yet to see what the actual progression of the disease when it comes to the lesions is. Uh, we believe that they're all different. So superficial is different than the deep and the deep is different than the ovarian. It's all a different disease process. Is there one of those specific kinds then that affects fertility or can fertility um, or infertility come from one of or more of those different kinds of endometriosis then? So endometriosis alone is associated, uh, the association is just by having endometriosis. So endometriosis creates an inflammatory environment inside of the pelvis um, that actually translates even into the bloodstream. So the markers have been found in the peritoneal fluid and the fluid inside of the pelvis. And also these same markers have been, uh, inflammatory markers have been elevated in the blood. So it's a global, it's a global systemic disease. Uh, it's not just local, but it can cause adhesions, uh, the tubal occlusions, the tubes get blocked because of the, uh, for example, endometrioma or uh, a lesion that's close to the tube. Uh, the ovarian tissue can get damaged or does get damaged with the growth of the these endometriotic cysts. Um, and we've also known that there's damage in our um, oocyte and oocyte is your egg that's in the ovary and the sperm DNA damage just associated to the inflammatory environment inside of the pelvis because of endometriosis. So there's a lot of effects that people might not even realize then. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's endometriosis is a chronic disease that is inflammatory and it's estrogen dependent. So it's something that is systemic. So, you know, when, when you look at endometrius, uh, endometriosis, you know, it feels like it's, it can be very difficult to diagnose then, you know, so why is that? Dependent on the diagnostic laparoscopy and the biopsy of tissue and sent to the pathologist to diagnose endometriosis for a very, very long time. And we think that that's the reason why um, there's a delayed diagnosis in up to nine years in some patients. Um, now the trend and we're moving towards, um, you know, evaluating patient clinically with signs and symptoms and uh, using imaging uh, to diagnose endometriosis. So a patient comes to, comes to the office uh, with um, dysmenorrhea, painful periods, and painful intercourse with a physical exam with a, pain, a painful nodularity in the posterior aspect of the uterus. We order an MRI and we can see the the lesions on the ovary and the and the deep lesions in the posterior aspect of the uterus and we already know that we have a diagnosis of endometriosis we don't need to go to the operating room we don't need to have a tissue you know portion of tissue to make that diagnosis so i think that the shift um, and the way that we are diagnosing endometriosis now will you know show fruits in the future where patients are getting diagnosed or becoming diagnosed sooner well, and, and traditionally, too, endometriosis has been mistaken for pelvic inflammatory disease or ovarian cysts, as well as irritable bowel syndrome then. Um, so, you know, what are some of the differences in all of these? And is this new way of kind of diagnosing endometriosis sort of, you know, taking some of the, you know, mistaken identity, I guess, as it were out of this? Yeah. So, I mean, there is an association of, for example, IBS or, uh, or patients with Crohn's or inflammatory bowel disease as well. Uh, with endometriosis, so I would I would probably, you know, put IBS in a different category, but pelvic inflammatory disease and hemorrhagic corpus luteum cyst, yes, this is something that brings patients to the emergency room uh, very, you know, commonly, um, and diagnosis is 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 hard in the emergency room because there's not always a gynecologic um, provider available or the gynecologist that is on call or seeing the patient doesn't have uh, a practice in endometriosis. So that contributes to, you know, these disease processes being uh, confounding. Why is it so important to get a diagnosis of endometriosis? Well, it's a, it's a debilitating disease. It, 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 it creates, it causes pain. It is uh, detrimental to patients' um, quality of life, sexual health. Um, it Patients are in pain for a very, very long time. They they have issues with fertility and conception. Um, quality of life scores in patients with endometriosis have been compare, compared to patients with cancer, and they're similar. So it's it's a very important you know diagnosis to have, so treatment can improve improve life. So with these new ways of diagnosing then, you know, how long of a process can someone expect? And then, you know, and is there anything else you need to go through to get an official diagnosis of endometriosis? So, and this is something that we talk about, you know, in conferences and try to educate uh, providers. So if, if you come to the office at Endometriosis um, and Chronic Pelvic Pain Center here at Cleveland Clinic and you have symptoms, your evaluation is going to be a complete history, a physical and uh, imaging. Once that imaging is there, then we already know what's going on. If, if there's ovarian endometriosis, if there's uh, uh, deep endometriosis, um, 
if there's bowel endometriosis, we'll have that diagnosis and that plan in a week's time, whatever long, however long is long it takes to see the patient, have the imaging, and then have a discussion about the imaging. That's amazing. That is so much shorter than I think than people might expect, and especially from precedent. Yeah, no, and that's a little. That's also that's also a little um, skewed because we do. This is a big part of our practice. We're a big center. We we um, you know this is what we do here, and this is there's a lot of providers that just do this all the time. It's hard, It's a little harder when you are. Um, in a rural part of uh, the United States and, and um, gynecologists are not as versed in the management of endometriosis as we are. So that's something that to take into consideration as well. So what does treatment for endometriosis entail and how do doctors kind of determine the best treatment for someone? So the treatment is tailored towards the patient's goals. Um, it depends on uh, where where the patient is. Is it, is it pain relief? Is it um, uh fertility? Is it having a baby in the next year? It's very, it's very patient-centered and patient-based. But overall, we treat endometriosis in different ways. We can treat it medically um, or we can treat it surgically. Um, so the medical management of endometriosis is hormonal suppression, um, birth control pills, progesterone, and other medical and other medicines. Um, and surgical is excision of the lesions. So removal of the lesions. What other things can help with endometriosis pain? Because, uh, you know, obviously that's such a big thing. You know, would people get on medicine? Like what, what, or, you know, can exercise help? What are some common things that doctors are able to do to help people? Pain is often multifactorial in patients with endometriosis. Uh, depending on where they are in their journey with the diagnosis, they could already have, you know, a current a, a diagnosis of chronic pelvic pain. Um, but there is good data to show that keeping a healthy lifestyle, exercising regularly, yoga for the pelvic floor, um, relaxation techniques, all of these things are helpful. They're not curative. And of course, we're not going to just tell patients to, you know, just to do that. But these, the, the, this is, it, it's healthy. So, I mean, it, it's healthy and it's actually helpful for the patients. Um, so from a lifestyle standpoint, diet can be, you know, can vary in different patients, but you know some patients find that uh, 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 vegan diet is better. Some patients are on keto diet and feel much better. It's very variable, and there's actually no data for us to actually steer the patients into one um, specific, uh, you know, lifestyle or the other. That's really good to know then, because I think there is a lot of conflicting information out there, and what one person says works might not work for someone, and that can get really frustrating. Yeah. So like I said, it's all patient-centered. If, if the patient's trying acupuncture and is going to yoga and it's working for her, then please go let uh, go ahead. Um, if, you know, pelvic floor physical therapy, other types of physical therapy, um, meditation techniques, all these other things, whatever's working to make the patient feel better is something that we, that, you know, we uh, encourage. So can endometriosis get cured with treatment then? That is also a very good question. It's a very hard question to answer because we honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't like to say that any treatment of endometriosis is curative. So once you have a diagnosis of endometriosis, it, it's there and it's going to be there because it's a chronic disease that is dependent on a hormone that women secrete from, you know, their whole life up to menopause where, you know, it stops. 
uh, or it doesn't stop, the, the, the amount of estrogen secreted uh, decreases. So I have a hard time saying that we can cure people with endometriosis. It's something that you live with for, the, for your whole life. I think that's good because that helps manage expectations too, you know, and, and tells people, hey, you know, we can work on treating things and make your symptoms more manageable and help you achieve the goals you want to achieve. Yeah, we can definitely, I mean, we have patients that are symptom free after surgery for, you know, 10 years, 15 years. Um, and that's the goal. Um, it's just that, you know, we don't know what happens in the next 10 or 15 after that. So if someone suspects they have endometriosis, then what are some good questions to ask their doctor or good things to bring to an appointment to kind of report to them? So all of the symptoms is what is one of the things that, 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 um, that, you know, I encourage. So if you're having painful periods, describe how these periods are painful. Um, any association of other pains that you feel, for example, if you have painful urination or painful bowel movements during menstrual cycle, these kind of need to be described as well. Is there any uh, um, blood in your urine or blood in your stool? All of these things. Having a good symptom log is very, very important. And then also letting the provider know that you want to know if you have, whether you have endometriosis or not. So being very, very clear and blunt about that as well. Well, and I think that's, you know, I think that's very good because a lot of times, you know, you hear stories that sometimes people have trouble getting their pain taken seriously. And so you need to be blunt to say, hey, I suspect I have this, you know, this is what I'm doing, you know, uh, take me seriously. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, honestly, the, the, the biggest push in the treatment or in kind of like the, the access for endometriosis has grown because patients themselves have become advocates for, for, for themselves. So there's uh, multiple advocacy groups online that are, that are, they're, they're huge, massive, and, and they educate patients and, and it's, it's a great community. So, um, I think that, you know, being an advocate, having people that, um, are around you that have gone through the same thing is also helpful. And that's also kind of breaking down the stigma or the embarrassment of saying, you know, hey, I have these things going on. And it's really kind of getting it more out into the open as well. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely that's a, it's always it's always refreshing to see, um, you know, patients, you know, some patients do share with us what they share, what they share online about their experiences. And it's always, um, you know, it's 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 always, you know, puts a smile on my face to see how many, you know, patients have come together and actually have made each other better just by telling each other what's going on, what's correct, what's not correct, what, where to look for doctors that know how to treat it, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, 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 it's impressive. And support systems are so great for, you know, anyone going through something. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, are there any questions that you tend to hear from people that maybe we haven't covered about endometriosis that you think might be important to mention or that people have found helpful that you've told them? Mm, I think the biggest question is that we can kind of that, that, that comes up a, a lot is, do you have to have a hysterectomy in order to cure or to improve endometriosis uh, symptoms? Um, and I always say that it depends on where you are in life and, and what, of course, what age um, and have you had, you know, have you completed childbearing? Is this something that's still important to you? So just to just to be clear that 
the hysterectomy alone itself without any excision of endometriosis is not a cure. It doesn't make it better. You don't have to have your ovaries removed at a young age because of endometriosis. You can also have um, hormonal treatments even after having a hysterectomy. It's just important to not box in on a specific treatment um, that's definitive or not definitive. It's it's a very important for me to say that every single patient needs to be treated differently and individually based on their goals and their disease process. And, you know, going through something that's, you know, so painful and so challenging as endometriosis, it's almost good to know to say, hey, you know, we're going to look at what's going on with you. You know, there's no blanket treatment, but we're going to make sure that we do what's right for you in your situation. That's also really kind of a relief too. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for being here today. This has been really interesting, Dr. Luna. It's my pleasure. If you're experiencing signs of endometriosis, your doctor can help you figure out the best next steps. Visit www.clevelandclinic.org slash women's health or call the Women's Health Institute at 216-444-6601 for an appointment. Thank you for listening to Health Essentials, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit clevelandclinic.org slash HEPodcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest health tips, news, and information.